back in the 70s, there, there were two men who made it their goal to climb Mount Rainier, quite a feat. Their names were Jim Davison and Mike Price. And they made it to the top. But a terrible accident happened on the way down. It was like a snow bridge that collapsed and ended up putting them in a glacial uh, crevice that was surrounded by ice and pitch black dark. dark. Um, Mike Price did not survive the fall, but Jim Davison did. And he actually was able to crawl his way out and get down the mountain despite his own injuries. He later wrote a book about it called The Ledge, in which he talked about his miraculous survival. As he talked in this book, he began to talk about his father. You see, his father painted very dangerous places like steep steeples, like on our building, and electrical towers. The surprising thing is when Jim was just 12 years old, his dad started making him climb those towers to paint. Mom was all against it and terrified. But dad communicated to his son that he could do anything. In fact, the son said in his harrowing journey back down that mountain, the words that sustained him were the words his dad had said to him his whole life. Just keep trying. I believe in you. Be courageous. Just keep trying. I believe in you. Be courageous. It was those words that sustained him that displayed to us the power of a father's words. Now, we know the proverb that says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. And we've all experienced that, where someone said something to us that actually brought so much life. We've also experienced the other side when someone actually spoke death, and we felt it. And what I'm saying this morning I think scripture will prove is that fathers have a special power to speak life and death over their children. We celebrate moms most often because of the way they make us feel. We celebrate dads because of those words of affirmation that we can't get out of our head. You see, every child needs the voice of a father or a father figure to be whole. In fact, studies have proven that the father's voice means something different than the mother's voice or the father figure's voice. And if a child does not grow up with the affirming words from their father, they are actually more vulnerable. A teenage girl will be more vulnerable without those affirming words from the father to be promiscuous. A teenage boy will be more vulnerable to fall to peer pressure and get involved in drugs and heavy drinking. Why? Because it's that those words that sustain us, that give us the power to go in dangerous environments and still survive. So today, we're talking about those words. I was talking to John Bowman this week. He runs Hope Inspired Ministry here in Montgomery. Our church is a major supporter of that. And it's a great, great ministry where they take men and women almost off the streets and, and, and equip them for a job and they do an internship and end up being contributing members of society. They also introduce them to Jesus. But John said to me, he said, can I tell you the amount of men that when I tell them I'm proud of them, I love them, I believe in them, will say, 
I've never heard those words from a man in my life. That's why they're so powerful. And today we want to celebrate those words in our life. I'm asking you a question today. What positive messages are in your head that a dad or a father figure said to you? I'm going to do something a little bit risky a little bit. I'm actually going to put two mics up here and give you an opportunity to share those. And, and you got a little card in your copy of Lifeline that says Father's Day Celebration. Place for you to put your name, your dad's name, and a very brief comment because these are going to have to be concise. But if you would work on that, we heard so many incredible things for our service. I love you to hear those today. So what are those words that are in your head that sustain you? Not only do we want you to share it if you wouldn't like to today, but I'd like you to share that with your dad as a gift this Father's Day. You know, this is so important that even Jesus needed that moment of affirmation. And we're going to look at it in Matthew chapter 3, if you want to open your Bible. And it's a really familiar passage. And we've read about this over and over, but sometimes we miss how important this was. Let me give you the context. First of all, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's about to face the crowds, the persecution, everything. And from what we can see, reading between the lines of the New Testament, his earthly father Joseph has been dead quite a while. And Jesus is about to face this. And on the other hand, as soon as this scene is over, Jesus will be led by Satan into the wilderness to be tempted. And so right in this moment is when we see one of the most beautiful, intimate moments in all the New Testament between Jesus and his Father. Now this is repeated at the scene of the Mount of Transfiguration where God says almost the same words to Jesus. But listen, this one's different. In the Mount of Transfiguration, he was speaking about Jesus, but saying it to the disciples. In this moment, he is speaking to Jesus to affirm him. So open the Bible to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now this is, this is quite a scene if you'll put yourself in Jesus' place. The baptism of John was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. It was paving the way for the Messiah to come. And people were coming from all the towns to meet John the baptized, the, the baptizer in the wilderness. So guess what? The Son of God comes out and he gets in line with the everyday sinners like you and me to get baptized. Jesus is seeking to so identify with us as one of us that he gets in the baptism line. Now, John the Baptist knew this didn't seem right. Look at verse 14. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? There's something wrong, John says, with this picture. You don't have any sins. I got a bunch of sins. If anybody's baptizing anybody, you ought to be baptizing me. Then Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I want to do everything God's requiring of his people. I want to be so close to them. So John consented. And then watch this incredible, intimate scene that Jesus himself needed. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. What a moment. What's the Father trying to communicate to his Son, Jesus? Let me give you a few quick points. Jesus' Father is saying, I'm with you. Jesus' Father is with him. The Holy Spirit comes as the presence of God. Often in the New Testament, it's actually called the Spirit of the Father. And it lands in Jesus. Because his Father did not want him facing life fatherless. They had been together for eternity. He didn't want them separated now. He'd be there. Do you recognize tomorrow morning over 50 million American children will wake up without a father in their home? Jesus did not want his son to have to do that. This was meant to begin this walk on this earth between Jesus and his father in a very intimate way. And for the rest of the gospels, we see Jesus talking to his father over and over and sharing with his disciples what his father has shown and taught him. Second, Jesus' father acknowledges him. What a special moment when he says, this is my son. Don't you make any mistake about it. Don't get confused about this. I got a boy and this is my boy and I want you to know he belongs to me. Boy, isn't that a special thing? When you have a dad who's willing to stand up and say, this is my son, this is my daughter. It's powerful. I've been telling you stories about my grandchildren lately. They're a source of great sermon illustrations, right? And my, my grandson, Taze, is about seven years old. I think I told you a few weeks ago that we went up there to watch him play basketball. And, I mean, he's on the basketball court. He never touches the ball. Kids are a little bit older than him. You know, coach obviously never really puts him in a whole lot or gets him the ball. And so I never forget after the game trying to encourage him. He says, Grandbuddy, he said, those people on my team, they don't even know I'm around. They don't even see me, and I hurt for him. Then a couple months later, we went to a baseball game, and this is a completely different taste. I mean, he's at the plate, you know, with his bat, banging the plate, man, and he's raising his hand while he's running around the bases. He's coming off the field, you know, high-fiving. He's having a great game, man. He's hitting it, he's catching it, and, and he is beside himself with excitement. Let me tell you the difference. Guess who his baseball coach was? It was his dad. His dad practiced and practiced and practiced and made him feel important until he could go out there knowing that he was Charlie's son. So also, the father wants Jesus to know that he loves him. I'm really surprised, talking with lots of men, how many men have never heard a male figure, a father figure, tell them, I love you, or I'm proud of you. Often in our culture, we think dad's responsibility is to be the provider of the home, food, shelter, clothing, but not the emotional needs. But Jesus' father knew that he needed to know in this moment that he was loved. And Jesus' father affirmed him. You got to love those words. With him, I am well pleased. What words of affirmation? Now I want you to think about this. 
God the Father said to Jesus before he had ever preached the sermon, before he had ever performed a miracle, before he had ever cast a demon out, before he had ever resurrected anyone from the dead, before he died on the cross, and before he resurrected. Before all the things we think the Father would applaud and say, I'm well pleased. He was simply well pleased with his son. Now here's the point I want you to get today, if you don't get anything else. Jesus lives from validation, not for validation. You see the difference there? Jesus is not walking out in this cruel world needing validation from someone else. For someone else to say, I love you. For someone else to say, I'm proud of you. Certainly he'd love that. See, so many of us walk out in the world and we've not been affirmed, we've not been built up, and so we are starving for affirmation. We look for it in every room we walk in. We want it from people. We perform hoping somebody's going to say that was good. Somebody would applaud. So how is Jesus able to undergo all the rejection by his hometown, the rejection by the Pharisees, and even the final rejection of the cross by his own disciples? Because he had received his validation from God, and he lived off of that. That's what prepped him for his ministry. And here's what I want you to know this morning. That's what prepares you and I for life. That we've heard, we've heard, excuse me, the strong, affirming voice of our fathers, and especially our Heavenly Father. Now, many of you here, let's go ahead and bring the mics up if we would, guys. Many of you here have been blessed to hear those words from your father. And so I go back to the question that I want us to deal with for a moment. What positive messages are in your head from your father, or it might be from a father figure? I had one, one father stand up in first service and talk about his dad died when he was five years old, but it was a neighbor's father who made him believe he was special. And so hopefully you may have written this out or you have it in your mind in a very succinct way, but we're actually just going to open the mic up for you to come and to share for a moment one of those words. And we'll do it just for a few minutes, and then um, we'll allow ourselves to move on this message. But I'd like to hear some of these right now. I know I'm, I'm taking a big risk, but this is a beautiful thing. Any of you, men or women, who've heard something from your dad that sticks in your mind that you need to share? Melanie Golson, come on up here. Come on over to this other mic. Let's keep both mics full so we can do this for five or ten minutes. Um. My dad wasn't really part of my life when I was young, so we didn't really have a relationship that's just been over the last um, 20-something years or so. But we were having lunch recently, and he um, said as we were leaving, proud of you. And that's probably the first time he'd ever said anything like that. That was special. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So one of the things that my dad said to me was, I finished my freshman year of college, and he said, I told him, oh, I got all A's. I'm so excited. I'm so proud. And he said, I expected that. I assumed you would. <laughs> and then my other one is actually from my godfather, who I met when I was a freshman at Faulkner. And around the same time, I was really struggling with fitting in or feeling like I had a place. And he said, you're my daughter, no matter what. Even though we look nothing alike, I choose you every day. Amen. 
All right, Bobby, come on up here. Somebody else come to this mic. Can you be ready? Yeah, my dad, my dad died when I was a freshman in college. And, uh, and uh, so I would go home just about every weekend, the last semester of my uh, freshman year, thinking, is this going to be the last weekend I, I saw him? And so he would, uh, every weekend, he wasn't sure if he was going to see me the next weekend, so he would give me some final instructions. But uh, I just remember one time, and this might have been one of the last weekends, and he said, you know, you're, you're still young. We weren't through with you yet, but you're ready. You're ready for life. And just that confidence that as a rebellious, long-haired, 19-year-old <laughs> that my dad believed that I was ready just stuck with me. Amen. That's special. All right. Okay. Um, one of my dad's greatest gifts to me is his unconditional love. And words that I, and who I am and words that I hear from him all the time is, be who you are, who you are is enough. Wow. That's powerful. Okay. A couple more folks. We've got a few more minutes. Okay. I see Warren and Hunter coming. Good deal. And John, come on. Yeah, just go ahead and line up here and we'll, we'll make this happen. Unfortunately for me, <clears throat> excuse me, unfortunately for me, uh, my father passed when I was eight years old from cancer. So um, my grandfather, my mother's father, was more of a father figure to me than probably anyone else. And the one thing that he's, he's really stuck to, he really, you know, instilled in me was family comes first. Hey, before Warren gets off the stage, Warren had tests two weeks ago. He's cancer free. Come on up here. All right. Which one of y'all? So, uh, Brother Bobby inspired me to come up here because I was also a... Uh, long-haired, rebellious 19-year-old at one point, and um, I, I feel like that I have a relationship with, with my dad that a lot of people wish they had, and my, my heart goes, goes out to them, but no matter what I decided to do, whether it was, hey, I'm not, not going back to college this semester, I have no idea what I'm going to go do, um, dad was always just supportive, and kept us cool with me. Um, he could have probably reprimanded me back into doing something else, but he gave me the freedom to figure out what I was going to go do, and, and I, I feel like it's worked out, and, you know, love you, Dad. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that good. Um, so me and my father have always had a great father-daughter relationship. I'm his oldest, so it makes sense. Um, but <laughs> one thing he, he's always said, um, and I'm 27 now, and he always says it, love God, love people, work hard, and be the OG. <laughs> and that's always stuck through, whatever we've done, whatever I've done, that's always stuck with me and will forever be. Love you, Dad. Amen. All right. Let's go. We're going to do like four more. Yes. Uh, my father taught uh, me and my brothers to be resourceful if something broke, you know, figure it out. You know, here's a, here's a screwdriver, here's, a, here's some tools, see if you can fix it. And, you know, to this day, that really is paid dividends. And, and it all started with righty tighty lefty Lucy. So if you haven't taught that to your kids, <laughs> that's a good place to start. So. That's a memorable line. Okay, you all know if I'm up here, Double Trouble has something to do with this. Because uh, it gets me out of my comfort zone. But um, I want to share something with you all. Um, about my dad. 
uh, because I grew up without my father. We never had a father and daughter relationship. Losing my mother at the age of 15, my youngest assembly, and I had to go live with him. During that time, the encouragement I saw as well as received from my father because he really wasn't that husband to my mother as well as that father to his kids was to marry a God-fearing man better than him, to marry a man who worked hard and took care of his family better than him, to marry a man that loved his wife and all his children better than him, just as much as he loved himself better than him. No matter what, I still love my dad more than he would ever know, just better than him. That's why my kids are the way they are today. Mm -hmm. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers. Thank you. All right. One, one more. My brother? Sure. My mom and dad started dating when I was nine years old. And the first time I met my dad, I liked him extremely. So I told my mom, I said, you better marry him. And she said, well, we'll just wait and see. And it got to where every Friday night when they would go out on a date, I'd go, Mama, did he ask you? Did he ask you? And um, that was in January. And then I turned 10 in June. And in August, they got married. And um, my daddy has never, when he's introduced me to someone, my dad has never called me his stepson. He has called me his son. And that means the world to me. And I've heard other members of my family say, uh, this is Jimmy's stepson. But when you say something like that to a child especially, it doesn't make them feel part of the family. It makes them feel left out. Thank you. Thank you very much. Amen. Let me, let me read one more. Um, this actually is from my mother-in-law. She'll be watching online right now. But I love what she said. She said, my daddy was a giant in my eyes. When my mother died when I was two years old, he could have given me to a family member to raise, but he didn't. He became the best mother also. He was humble, not highly educated, but the wisest man I ever knew. He taught me the importance of good character and kept my standards high. He taught me about integrity and honesty and compassion. He loved me unconditionally, probably too much at times. When I was disobeying, he gave me a good talking to. I'd have preferred a spanking. I'm so blessed to have been raised by my hero, Mac Hughes. I love my daddy, Glenda Beasley. You know, I think about my moment with my dad. It actually happened right here. When I first moved uh, to Montgomery, believe it or not, it was a little bit controversial and someone had written a long paper about me as a false teacher and it had been given all out all across our church and all across Montgomery. And the next Sunday the church gathered and elders stood up and talked about what kind of church we were gonna be and marked this man for being divisive. And there were six major charges against me personally that the elders asked me to respond to if ever I felt like the Holy Spirit was in me it was that day. And after that moment, I mean, there was a spirit of freedom that enveloped this church that was unbelievable. And I just sat down here, you know, just in tears. And there was a line of men all the way to the back coming to hug me. And my dad was in that line. And I'll never forget when he told me he loved me. You see, it's those moments, guys, that we remember. 
And here's the good news this morning is that God wants every one of us to have that moment. He doesn't want any of us to feel like we're, we have no father. You know, I can't tell you how many people I talk to who don't have a father figure, or if they do, if I meet a young man who tells me they really had a nurturing, loving, giving father, I tell them, you better count how blessed you are. Because that's almost unusual in our culture. And I think God knew that. And so God becomes, as E. Stanley Jones would say in a classic word, the great equalizer. He's the one who becomes the father to the fatherless and to anyone who doesn't have a father. In, in this moment, I want to talk about our moment with him. You see, Jesus' disciples recognized what a close relationship he had with his father and how they were always talking. And that's why they came to Jesus and said, could you teach us to pray? Could you teach us to have that kind of relationship? No one had ever seen it. And that's when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer. Let me just um, read that to you. It's such a beautiful thing. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, just quickly, everything we've been trying to say is in that prayer. You see, it says here, our father is there for his children. It was such a radical thing for anyone to call God father, dad. And we get to Romans, Abba, daddy. That was crazy. And yet Jesus says God wants that relationship. Our father wants the best for his children. He wants his kingdom to come in their lives. Our father provides for his children. He gives us our daily bread. Our father forgives his children. Our father protects his children. You see, what God the Father wants you to do is He wants you to live from validation, not for validation. So many of us, for so much of our life, we walk in that place we work just hoping that someone would validate us. We walk in a family today just hoping somebody can say those words. We walk into school thinking, someone please applaud me. And You know, that's a beautiful thing when it happens, but we all know it doesn't always happen. And if you're dependent on that to happen in your life, then you're going to be seeking the wrong things over and over again. But if you start with your validation from your Heavenly Father, who says, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is the one I love, this is who I'm pleased with, you can walk in any of those places, and if you get it good and if you don't get it good. I want to share a story to conclude that I've saved for years and used in lots of messages. Uh, in 1984, John Smith was the preacher, which is now called Grace Point. It was called Carriage Hills in that day. And he was a prolific writer. Many of you may remember him. I was working in Tuscaloosa, and I can remember getting the Highland Bulletin and um, reading this article and this description of a dad. And it, it just, it was just so, it says everything we're trying to say today about how God treats us. And here's how John Smith describes it. He's just riding down a street in Montgomery. There's some soccer fields. He doesn't know anybody there. There's a soccer game going on between five-year-old teams, and he just stops to watch. And so he's just watching. There's team one, there's team two, and they're very evenly divided. And for the first long period of time, nobody scores. And then something changes. The team one coach 
takes out all of his best players except his goalie. The team two coach keeps all of his star players in. And you know what's going to happen. These players on team two begin to be at a score on this little goalie. And he is throwing himself back and forth. You know, he's screaming, trying to get to the ball. He's frantic after the first score. He's despondent after the second score. But by this point, they can at will score on him. And then I want you to listen to what John Smith writes. I soon learned who the little goalie's parents were. They were nice, decent-looking people. I could tell his dad had just come from the office. He still had his suit and tie on. They yelled encouragement to their son. I became totally absorbed, watching the boy on the field and his parents on the sidelines. After the third goal, the little kid changed. He could see it was no use. He couldn't stop them. He became frustrated. He didn't quit, but he became quietly desperate. Futility was written all over him. After the fourth go, I knew it was going to happen. I'd seen it before. He needed help so bad, and there was none. After the fifth go, he retrieved the ball from the net, handed it to the referee, and he cried. He just stood there with big tears rolling down both cheeks. He went to his knees. He put his fists in his eyes out of frustration. His grief was so great, he cried the tears of the helpless. After the third goal, his father changed too. He had been urging his son to try harder, yelling advice, encouragement, but he changed. I could tell he was anxious. He tried to say that it was okay to hang in there, but he was grieving for the pain of his son. When the boy went to his knees, I saw the father start onto the field. His wife clutched him by his arm and said, Jim, don't do it. You embarrass him. I cannot describe the look he gave her. He tore loose from her. He ran onto the field. He wasn't supposed to. The game was still in progress. Suit, tie, dress, shoes, and all. He charged onto that field, and he picked up his son so that everybody would know that it was his boy. He hugged him. He held him. He cried with him. I've never been so proud of a man in my life. He carried him off the field, and I scooted closer so I could hear the conversation on the sidelines. Scotty, the dad said, I'm so proud of you. You are great out there. I want everybody to know that you're my son. Daddy, Daddy, the boys sobbed. I couldn't stop them, Daddy. I tried, I tried, and they scored on me. Scotty, you're my son. It doesn't matter how many times they score on you. You're my son, and I'm proud of you. I want you to go back in that game right now. You can't stay out of the game. You're going to get scored on. But it doesn't matter to us. Go on now. It made a difference. I could tell it did. When you're all alone and you're getting scored on and you can't seem to stop them, it means a lot when it doesn't matter to the people who love you. This little guy ran back on the field and they scored three more times, but he was okay. Here's the payoff. I get scored on every day. Satan scores on me. I try hard. I throw my body recklessly in every direction. I fume and I rage. I struggle with temptation, sin, with every ounce of my being. And Satan laughs. He scores again and the tears come. 
And I got on my knees, sinful, convicted, helpless. And my father, my father, my father rushes right onto the field, right in front of the whole world, the whole jeering, laughing crowd. And he picks me up and he hugs me and he says, John, I'm so proud of you. You were great out there. It was a classic struggle. I wanted everyone here to know that you are my son. Daddy, I, I, I couldn't stop them. I tried, Daddy. I tried, and he scored on me. John, you're my son. And it doesn't matter how many times he scores on you. I love you, and I'm proud of your efforts. They weren't good enough. Quite frankly, they never will be. But I declare you the winner because I control the outcome of the game. Now get back in there. I remember reading that in my office and weeping because what a picture of God the Father. He runs onto the field, he embraces us, he controls the outcome. And that's the picture this Father's Day I want you to have of God the Father. That's the picture that even Jesus needed. And so today we're about to have a minute of silence and we're just going to put some words up on the screen, the same words that the Father said to Jesus and, and have you think about those in just a moment. And then we're going to sing a couple of songs that are going to just express everything that I've tried to express today, but in a more beautiful way. And during those songs, if, if you need to be baptized and hear those same words from your Heavenly Father, I'm convinced He still says those words. Or if you've drifted from the Father and, and you are insecure and you're seeking it everywhere you go, but you can't find it, sometimes you need God's people just to put their arm around you and love you and tell you you're special and pray for you. We invite you to do that while we sing those songs. And here's what I want you to know. This is possible because of what happened on the cross. You see, for the first time in all of eternity, in all of Jesus' earthly life, the voice of the Father went silent. The words of love and affirmation were not there as Jesus was covered with the sin of the world. But here's what you and I must embrace today. The Father was silent with Jesus so that never in your life will He be silent with you. So let's take a minute to dwell on these next words. Take communion, praise Him together, and respond. Let me pray. Father, we are just so thankful for this story, Lord. We sometimes just breeze right past it. And to think that you knew even your son, perfect son Jesus, needed to hear your voice, needed that affirmation. We know he'd gotten it from his mom over and over, but he needed to hear it, hear it from you, Father. And he did. And he achieved his purposes. Nor today we feel like the little boy floundering in front of the goal. Father, we need to know that you're proud of us, that you love us, and that you'll never give up on us. Help us to hear your voice over this next minute. And God, help us to praise you because of what Jesus did on the cross to make this possible. We pray in his name. Amen.